Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Welcome, everybody. Um to another episode of Amazon Legends. And today I have a guest who has a very different approach. Now, people start thinking about Amazon and they are always thinking about Amazon. How do we do this on Amazon? But really, Amazon approach is building a business approach. It's not, you can't just build an operation just for Amazon. It has to be a, a true business operation in all aspects of it. So today's guest, is doing exactly that. And his name is Zach Cohen. And Zach is the director of operations at Ruby Hibiscus. And he has been in a CPG startup space for over a decade. Typically he specializes in food and beverage industry. And uh, also he's a true fighter as an entrepreneur because he's also an amateur boxer. And uh, he's even won the 2018 New England Golden Gloves in boxing. So uh, this guy does not let things go easily. And his passion is also extends to uh, teaching. So he also teaches boxing uh, outside uh, the time that he's building the company. So uh, his company, Ruby Wellness, produces uh, Ruby Hibiscus uh, water. And uh, that's launched over a year ago. And this is what I mean by building a business. So he's set up this operation where he has his distribution with focus in the Northeast. They are in uh, almost all the Whole food stores in the Northeast and also many independent grocery stores. And right now they are focused in the Northeast, but they are planning to go nationally uh, soon. And his Amazon operation is fairly new, new in the sense that he has been an Amazon seller for a long time, but he's learned the hard way, what to do, what not to do. So he has not launched his current company yet and he's preparing for it. So you're gonna learn all about how to prepare to launch a business on Amazon and what are the things that we usually don't think about much, but that are essential. So. With that, uh, Zach, so tell me something that, that you've learned in the past, uh, what not to do, and that you've gotten really good at it, and that you're doing right now. Thanks, Nick, and uh, really excited to be here. So thank you very much for having me. So, you know, something that I'm doing good at, something that I've practiced with my Amazon experience is just really perfecting an operation that's able to scale and be able to scale ultimately using Amazon FBA services. So like you said, I've had um, nearly a decade experience here in this food and bed CPG space, and most of that being in the startup space. And typically when you're in the startup space, you're able to just be flexible, be adaptable and go and get stuff done. You know, we have to go get our attitude, be able to adapt and get things done quickly. And so, you know, when dealing with FBA, it's a completely different standard operating procedure. And I've been able to learn through experience, um, you know, definitely some hard times, the hard way that when you're dealing with FBA, you need to come at it with a really meticulous plan. You need to come at it with, um, you know, a, a different angle than your kind of your startup attitude, so to speak, and be able to perform and execute. Um, so when I'm working with FBA and I'm working kind of just in operations in general in the CPG space, I'm not necessarily a perfectionist, but I want near perfect data to be able to receive and then execute against. So tell me some specific examples of what it is that uh, whether it's a, you said data, what data are you looking at and what are the actions that you're doing in order to make sure that the FBA works properly? Yeah. So first I can go into a couple of experience of maybe what not to do on Amazon. And, uh, you know, I've had independent selling experience. I've worked with, uh, you know, in the scope of companies and, you know, I've been actually blacklisted from Amazon from not meeting their 
performance uh, expectations. And, you know, the reason this happens is, again, in a startup space, sometimes you're like, we have the go-get-it attitude. We're going to find a way to get this done, which usually works. What was the specific uh, performance metric that you didn't satisfy? Yeah, so actually, I should clarify. It was actually an FBM. So this was fulfilled by a merchant um, area. So this was during the height of the pandemic. Amazon was actually... Um, they were putting restrictions on how much inventory you could send to FBA because the supply chain was just in wraps and everyone was sending all their inventory over. So they put restrictions on how much inventory that we could send. And uh, because of that, our demand was higher than the supply available at FBA. So the typical situation there would be just to switch our FBA services to be able to fulfill our orders by fulfilled by merchant. And we did so, we, we, we pivoted, we were shipping the orders, fulfilling the orders on time. However, we were using a 3PL at the time and they were shipping the orders on time, but their API system wasn't including the tracking into the Amazon dashboard. So while these customers were receiving their orders, while orders were shipping on time, the tracking numbers weren't going over and therefore Amazon concluded that these orders never shipped and that us as our seller were no longer meeting their performance expectations and shut me off and that requires a long process and a plan of action to get reinstated which is a you know a difficult thing to do yeah yeah so i mean this folks i'm gonna tell you this this is so much of a fine point you're not gonna really hear this anywhere because there's no tutorial this is not really spelled out So if you are fulfilling yourself, not FBA, but you're fulfilling yourself, and let's say that you have an order that's supposed to ship on, we are now approaching Valentine's Day, February 8th. And you ship it on or before February 8th. But for whatever reason, if you're doing it manually, you forget if it's system, you know, automation, and systems fail, and your shipping data is not submitted at all, Amazon considers it unshipped. If you submit the shipping data on February 11th, they will consider your shipment date February 11th. So it's not when you actually ship and when your tracking number was issued or label was created but it's when you submit that shipping data to Amazon is what Amazon considers as your shipping date. And if it's later than their requirement, you will get penalized. And in Zach's case, he got thrown out, right? That's that's 100% correct. And you know, to expand on that point too, not only do you have to put the tracking in, if you're doing it manually, you literally have to go in and put the tracking in manually. So, you know, One of the most important things, you know, with my experience now to mitigate against that is you need to really have clearly defined roles and be able to test and do some test runs on your Amazon site before you go live. So in that situation right there, where you're using a 3PL, which is, you know, pretty, uh, pretty standardized, you want to really test that API connection. So when the 3PL ships, making sure and then going in and double checking to make sure that Amazon is, or excuse me, that the 3PL data is transferring into the Amazon dashboard. So that's one of the kind of dry test runs that you want to perform over and over and consistently double check. And then, you know, while just talking about roles, you know, I found kind of, you know, another thing with Amazon too, how it differs from a normal CPG operation is again, going back to that whole point of, in a CPG startup world, you find a way to get stuff done. And with Amazon, you need to be a little more buttoned up. And I definitely recommend having you know, three clearly defined roles. First being you need a demand planner. So that demand planner, whether they're in sales, whether they're in ops, you want them getting you as close to perfect data as, as possible of the velocity per warehouse. Typically, FBA will allow you to send to two or three warehouses, usually one on the East Coast, one in Central, maybe one on the West Coast, or, or you know, vice versa, depending where you are located. And you want to understand your velocity per SKU and start understanding how long Amazon is, it's taking Amazon to get your inventory into their system. 
Um, you know, and it might fluctuate, especially recently with COVID times where, you know, typically something might get entered into the system in 10 days, but now it might be entered in 20 to 30. So I think it's really important to have someone who's tracking that and understanding what's your slack time and how long it's going to take me to send inventory to Amazon and when that ultimately that's going to be received. Um, and then second, obviously, you need someone on the on the marketing side of Amazon really honed into your listings, really looking at your keywords, looking at your pictures. And Amazon, again, is a different beast. Um, you know, typically you're you're working in marketing or you're working operations and you're you're working with real people. I've always found that in Amazon, you're appealing to robots. You're appealing to some type of automation. On the op side, you're appealing to a velocity algorithm, which is taking in demand, supply. And on the marketing side, you're appealing more to a psychological algorithm, which is taking your keywords, which is taking your listings and trying to see if this is going to scale and if it's going to uh, meet your customers' expectations. So those are kind of the two roles that you definitely need to have. Someone really on the op side, um, really working with the inventory, making sure that you're getting it prepared properly and then getting it over to Amazon. And then a demand planner, making sure that that inventory is being tracked, have a velocity there. And then last but not least, of course, how you're going to get this to the customer. Yeah, so um, you, you mentioned demand planning and you mentioned the, uh, the keywords and uh, algorithms. So how do you make sense of the uh, analytics that Amazon provides or they have provide because you need to download, look at it, analyze it. And how do you make sense of it? And what do you use? What do you feel is most useful to you? Yeah. So this is one of my biggest gripes with Amazon is the reporting features and the selling dashboard is, it doesn't necessarily give you the best analytics. Um, so I keep it offline separately. So just using Google Sheets, using Excel is just tracking that data and making it a part of your everyday everyday kind of SOP. Just going into Amazon, collecting whatever data that is, looking at your sales per unit, looking at your performance notifications, looking at your seller reports, bringing that data offline, tracking it in Google Sheets, Excel, whatever you know, spreadsheet uh, tool you like best. And then I like to just you know, perform some formulas to understand my demand, understand velocity. And then most importantly, use that instrument to have real good communication with the other members of the team. So if it's sales and marketing, being able to say, listen, here's our velocity. Here's when I suggest that we reload our, our, you know, our inventory. And then you can have that discussion. I think, you know, again, with Amazon communication is really key. If you're working in a team, really understand, all right, we have a prime deal set up for X day. How can we then take all this data and, um, and then, you know, be in stock in Amazon because if you're not in stock, Amazon's going to ding you. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is really uh, the you need to do your own work in terms of what data you should be looking at. You need to daily go into Amazon, get that data, and then put it into the format that you have set up. That hundred percent, and yeah. then share it, share it across the organization. Definitely. And for me, I'll say that was my biggest learning curve was you just figure that Amazon's such a such an innovative company, such a, you know, a future a futuristic company that we're going to be able to get this reporting that Amazon's going to tell me all this data. They'll tell me what to ship. They'll tell me that. And let me tell you, I got burned so hard just not keeping my own data. And, um, you know, I was relying on the Amazon dashboard, relying on the Amazon team that we were, you know, onboarding with at the time. And I found nine times out of nine times, you have to keep the data separate. You need to track it yourself. And ultimately you need to make your own decisions, not rely on what Amazon's telling you. Yeah, I mean, this is so right. This is, I mean, this is why it's so important to take this as a business and treat it with the kind of respect that it needs where you don't rely on Amazon because Amazon system is just a system that doesn't know your business and you need to know, you need to get intimately familiar with your data, not necessarily become a data scientist, but you need to know what information you should be looking at. If you wanna buy more inventory, 
you know, inventory is out, your sales will stop. So yeah. something that you may have done really well promoting, it's, you now have steady stream of orders coming in and it will stop if you don't have inventory. And inventory will come from the data that you are looking at every day. And so you need to know where it is, where you find it and how you use it. So yeah. that's key and looks like you're doing that. Cool. Yeah. So um, uh, let's talk about some, you know, high level you know, obviously you have experience with Amazon, but really your approach is a business approach. You are setting up your distribution. You've done the Northeast. So uh, what do you see as the biggest opportunity that Amazon presents and, and what are the challenges that come with? So Amazon obviously presents just that whole world of extra consumers. You know, we talk about keywords. Amazon always is going to own that initial keyword. Um, you know, I think brands do a really good job of getting people into their funnel, but Amazon is that initial search term. It's replacing Google where people go for reviews, where people go for ideas and to look at, to look at stuff. So, you know, I think, you know, as a company and as a brand, as you build, you definitely need to be on Amazon, but ultimately you need to be on Amazon and do it the right way. Um, you know, as I've learned in the, in the past, if you do Amazon the wrong way to use a boxing analogy, you're going to get punched right in the face. Uh, and, you know, they might not let you get back up. It's because, you know, the robots or whoever's controlling the Amazon algorithm wants to see you, you know, hitting all those key metrics. Um, so with that said, you know, there's a huge opportunity on Amazon being able to, you know, really ultimately appeal to Amazon school, which is satisfy their end customer, get, um, get products there with good quality and get there them on time. Um, and of course have good reviews with good quality. So for us, we're building this, we're, we're building the backend, we're building the infrastructure to be able to deliver to Amazon in a way that again, appeals to Amazon's end customer making sure that our product is packed properly so that customers are receiving really good quality. Of course, you know, really making sure that the inside quality of our, our, of our food and beverage is of the highest quality itself. And that comes from R and D that comes from, you know, tinkering with production runs and making sure that our product is 130% ready to exceed expectations. And then lastly, building the infrastructure to have all the pieces in place, working with our warehouses, and um, working, of course, with the marketing team to start beefing up our structure and being ready to not only be on Amazon, but execute uh, above expectations. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to say, I mean, it, uh, recently it was reported that Amazon has 170 million paying prime members alone, not to mention everybody else who are not prime members. So that's a huge market to tap into. If you do a good job penetrating in your little space and you have a good product, I mean, bringing that kind of business, a, a percentage of that business to your own website and fulfill it, <laughs> it's not going to happen, right? No, no. And, and, and you mentioned 170 million. That's crazy. Wow. 170 million customers. And, you know, Amazon only cares about their customers. You as a seller, They'll support you. They'll give you tools, but really, you're not part of their. You're not part of their strategy. They care about appealing to their end customer, their prime customer. You as a seller are kind of just are there, so you kind of have to adapt that mindset as well. Is I need to, I need to deliver to this Amazon Prime customer in the way that meets Amazon's longstanding goals: quick turnaround, good quality, good reviews. You know, it's. It, well, and also there are some misconceptions by some sellers, like they start to do well, like they do 10 million, 15 million a year. Amazon does not care how big a seller you are, right? They don't care. They don't need money. I mean, they, they are bigger than anybody else. So they don't care how big, a, you're not going to be as big as them. So uh, it, it's being a big seller does not matter. It's meeting their standards, their requirements, right? No, and it's funny too. And you'll realize that quickly when you call Amazon support and you start thinking, you know, I'm over a million in sales. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one, two, three, you're, the millions are going up. And all of a sudden you think you're a big shot seller on Amazon. You call support. And um, if anyone's ever called Amazon seller support, you realize you're going to talk in circles for a while before uh, you realize, you know, th there's not much help to be had here and you might be on your own. 
Yeah. So um, my next question is usually about the initial challenges because people, when they launch on Amazon, remember your experience, you know, you deal with things and then you move on, you forget all about it. But right now you are actually going in and in an educated manner. What are the things that you are deliberately putting in place so that you don't have those challenges. Amazon operation does not fit into your business operation. Instead, they are streamlined. So give us some of those. Well, first, yeah, it's it's defining those roles in the team. So startup team, we all have that great go-getter attitude, small and scrappy. It's taking the team and defining those roles. Listen, we have roles in our current operation, but for Amazon, we're going to have these roles and we need to clearly define them again. So we've taken the team and kind of broken into two. And that was first and foremost saying, all right, this is how our, this is how we fulfill to, you know, wholesale. This is how we fulfill D to C, but this is how we're going to fulfill to Amazon. And this is going to be a completely different standing operating procedure and, you know, kind of get out of that mindset of where we're currently at when we deal with Amazon. Second is, really, really communicating with our 3PLs and warehouses. So we're using them right now. And, you know, as I mentioned, that was the biggest way I've been burned by Amazon. So we're doing dry test runs, making sure that we're all synced up. We're making sure, and, you know, again, I've learned the hard way, uh, you know, I'm going to be at the warehouse for the first couple of times, putting those Amazon FBA labels on the pallets, putting them on the cases, and, you know, uh, putting them on the products itself. And that skipped this step a little bit, which is when we create our listings, making sure that our listings are cohesive to how we're packing the product. So building out our master cases, uh, building out our pallet counts, building, build, building out our flavors and SKUs that are available on Amazon as ASINs. So really, it's, it's fairly specific. You really get it down to specifics in terms of what is presented on the actual listing page. Because a lot of the times, I remember my own Amazon experience, at the beginning, you know, we had information for our products, our SKUs on our system. And then when it came down to submitting it to Amazon, suddenly we had so many fields that they want information for. And, uh, and you, don't, you don't have it. You don't have it and it becomes a chore and you just start copying, pasting, going to other websites and picking up stuff. That doesn't work. You need to work with real information. You need to go measure and, and things like that, right? That's correct. And I, I probably should have talked about that too. You know, we've been, we've launched almost a year now too. And we, we've been collecting all that data. So we have that again, offline and separate spreadsheets, all of our product counts, all of our current UPCs and uh, EANs, which how we're going to convert those to ASINs. We have all of our size, we have our case pack. So we have all that information. So transferring to Amazon should be pretty swift, but um, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's been going on for over a year, but yeah, it's definitely important to have all that information, keep it offline, keep it safe and, you know, have all that data because you're going to need it for other stuff too, as well as Amazon. But yeah, Amazon will ask you for everything. And it's pretty crazy just, you know, when you really think of the, the grand scope of what an ASIN is, um, you know, it's just Amazon's own <laughs> standard identification number. And it's just really, I think for me, kind of polarizing and crazy to think how big Amazon is that they have their own unique identification number and it can spread across thousands of sellers in every country in the world. It's, it's pretty insane. But yeah, just another indicator of how big and massive the potential in Amazon is. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the point you're making is uh, I, you know, when I work with my clients, usually what I have is six different areas of work. And one of them is called catalog management. Yeah. So that's what you're talking about. So you've got to have your catalog management in place where for every single item, you have a consistent way of uh, producing SKUs of your own and then assigning them to UPCs and then, gathering all the information about their, for example, their dimensions. And there are three different dimensions. There's the, the actual item dimension, and then there's the package dimension, and then there is the FBA package dimension because you may have to repack them. 
So you need to have them all. And people say, oh my God, you know, why do I need all of this? No, 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 no. You have to, you have to just, you know, hang in there and gather all that information, the weights and the volumes. And then you have the uh, FBA uh, fee. And, and if you ship it yourself, your FBM fee, yep. of course, the cost. I mean, it's, you've got to have that in your catalog data which then ties to, you know, all the rest of the data that you need to use, right? For sure. And, you know, it, it sounds, uh, you know, as we talk about it, it sounds kind of big and grand, but I, I want to, you know, definitely let people know it's really, it's not rocket science at all. It's just a couple, it's just being really organized and meticulous with the, with, with the items and keeping them in one place where they can easily be found and then be, available to the team for good communication. So it's definitely not rocket science. It's just keeping, you know, it's as simple as a, a simple Excel sheet with, you know, your master, you know, your master tab with all that information. And then you can kind of break it up into your, your bundles and packs, but it's, it's really not rocket science. It's just really paying attention to it, to it, not being lazy with it and understanding just having this information is going to be pay for itself well over that that time it takes to write a couple extra columns is going to be well worth it yeah well zach you know how it is when you know something it's easy right yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, i think you're right i mean it's not difficult it's the awareness and the attitude towards it because if first of all if you don't know anything and people say oh where, where is your list of products what yeah you're not you don't know anything so you don't have anything yeah uh, the, the other thing is if you kind of, because a lot of people have this uh, technology, uh, the, the, the phobia that, oh, uh, you know, I, this is not for me, you know, just call the guy. The, yeah. No, no, you, you have to prepare yourself mentally to deal with things like this. So when you, if your mentality is the right one, then you'll get over it. So, okay, let, let's figure it out. But if suddenly you're dismissing and it's too much for you and it's not for you, then obviously it gets harder and without the awareness, then now you've got a problem in your hands. Something easy becomes, you know, a big deal. For sure. And then, you know, going back to, you know, the worst that can happen, Amazon will take you right off of that site too. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you definitely, yeah, it's, <laughs> there, yeah. there, there's pros and cons and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a game to play that you have to, you have to prepare for. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned earlier that you were doing FBM, FBA. So uh, let's talk about some of the pros and cons of FBA and FBM. Yeah, FBA is obviously great because, you know, fulfilled by Amazon means that you're sending inventory directly to Amazon and the Amazon then, so it's going to two kind of centralized warehouses, maybe three. Amazon's then sending that all over to their micro fulfillment centers and me as a prime customer now can go on Amazon and anytime I order one of those products, it's going to be able to ship in one to two days. And Amazon technically takes responsibility for that shipment. Uh, so there's fees to pay with FBA. There's the warehousing aspect of it. There's FBA fees, but it's great because Amazon is technically shipping the products and everything's available as prime. And I, don't, I mean, we can all kind of agree probably that you know, those prime products are going to be pushed to the top of the algorithm. So there's definitely a lot of benefits to FBA. Uh, FBM is the fulfilled by merchant aspect, which is probably similar to if you're a startup company, how you might be fulfilling your D2C customers, your online store. Basically, an order comes in through Amazon. You get a notification in the Amazon dashboard. And then you as the seller are responsible for uh, picking, packing, shipping, relaying the tracking to the customer, dealing with all the, uh, the returns, dealing with all the, you know, anything that happens along the way, which is good in an aspect that you might have control over the full process, but you need to be, if you're doing it that way, you need to be sure you're, um, you know, fulfilling those items on time, relaying the tracking on time, and of course, delivering a good quality product. So there's definitely pros and cons to both. Uh, I definitely recommend being on both because FBA, sometimes with the Amazon, how they're receiving inventory, there's often lag times where you might run into an out-of-stock situation, and then you could transfer over to FBM. Uh, but for me, I prefer being on FBA 
as much as close to 100% as possible. And FBM for products that either aren't FBA eligible or if they're um, just as an out-of-stock situation FBA. So how does the cost compare? Uh, you mentioned there is the FBA fees, the warehouse fees. So when you put them together per order basis, which one is more attractive from cost standpoint? FBM shipping yeah. it yourself or FBA? Yep. So if you look at the, well, just in terms of fees, FBA is going to be a little more pricey, but when you look at your total cost of sale as a company, uh, it depends obviously what product you're shipping, but typically, at least in CPG, the cost of sale is going to be very similar when you take into account, especially if working with a 3PL, your picking pack fees, your shipping costs, um, which you can also buy from Amazon, the shipping labels, but the shipping costs, the warehousing costs. So oftentimes it comes out to a very similar uh, cost of sale. FBA might be a little more pricey, but of course you lose a lot of that headache and a lot of that, um, you know, issues. But when you, in aggregate, if you were kind of really boil it down, that whole cost of sale is pretty equal, all things considered. Now I will share this. I mean, I will, I found different. Oh yeah. The reason why I found different, and this is, you know, for, for listeners benefit so let's say that you're shipping yourself. First of all, you, you have, if you're shipping yourself, you have two different scenarios. You're shipping it yourself in-house. You have your pe- people and you have 3PL. So yep. uh, in the case of 3PL, no matter what it is, in other words, your postage that you have to pay, whether it's UPS or you know USPS, your own account, that's the postage. And then there is the pick pack ship and the 3PL will charge you a fee per order because yep. that's how, how they make a living. So that's the, the cost. And that's for 3PL. If you do it yourself, then you don't have that cost of paying a fee per order to 3PL. But now you have to hire people. You have to pay salaries, right? Yep. So salaries, rent and all that stuff. And you still have the postage to pay. The same thing that would happen with 3PL will happen in your case. Now, um, if you are based uh, on the East Coast and an order comes from California, you have one cost to California. If it's East Coast state, it's another cost. It's all, it's variable. So for one item, you never know what your shipping cost is in true sense it keeps going up and down if more or more of your orders come from the west coast and you happen to be on the east coast your cost will go up if uh, you know suddenly it shifts your marketing strategy may drive that you know if you're targeting different so so that's those are things to take into account when you switch to fba there is no per order fee there is no different postage cost depending on where you are, it's fixed at skew level based on your dimensions and weight. And that's all you can, you are, you would be concerned about. And uh, there is, there are obviously warehousing fees yep. added, um, but you can, and if you manage that well, and that's where Zach's point comes in very handy, you have to manage your inventory because if you carry too much, then, you know, your cost will go up. They charge yep. more. So those are the fundamental, the way I see is those are the fundamental differences. If shipping is, if you have a low ticket item and you want to make sure that your shipping does not go overboard, I say, don't even consider FBM. Go with FBA because it's going to be fixed cost as a percentage of your sale. Would you agree? Yeah. And that's why, you know, I want to be an FBA as close to 100% of the time as possible. FBM, yeah. it's really just... Yeah, it's a backup. And then it's also if you know, if if you got a new SKU and you're not, it's not necessarily eligible for FBA, um, then then that could be a good option for it. But yeah, FBA, if you can get as close to 100% of time and prep for that, prepare for that, then that's where you want to be. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the impact of peak seasons, like the shopping season, the prime day, and 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 this post-pandemic time. How how do you prepare? What what do you look out for? Yep. And again, this is going to be another one where you learn the hard way. 
And it's going to go back to the two things I've been saying, I think, all day. It's communication if you're in a team, if you're in a team, um, making sure that you're prepping months in advance, at least, you know, 90 days in advance of a, a day like Prime Day, where you're understanding, one, how much demand we're thinking we might move, two, how we're going to maybe change the listings, how we're going to appeal to the customer, and uh, then three, how are we going to get inventory there? If there's an inventory shortage, are we going to rob Peter to pay Paul? Are we going to short one of our wholesalers to be eligible for Prime Day? And, you know, if your goal is to really scale on Amazon, then you definitely don't want to rob Amazon of that inventory. So making sure that you have that plan in place. It's not one of those things where it could be Sunday night at midnight and you send an email to the team saying, all right, we're going to run a deal tomorrow morning. Everyone, let's go make it happen. Nope, you got to get out of that frame of mindset back up at least 90 days prep, have that communication, have that data, have that, you know, have that information that you're going to look at, make a decision and then execute. So as far as you said something very important, if you have to make a choice between a wholesaler in your supply chain versus Amazon, go with Amazon. Why is that? If your goal is to win on Amazon, then you definitely can't shortchange Amazon. If your goal is something different, if you're, you know, your goal is to really win in wholesale, or if your goal is really focusing on your D2C site, then you need to make those decisions. So it comes down to kind of personnel decisions. It comes down to relationships that you may have with wholesalers and may have with your personal customers. And those are decisions that need to be made, you know, at the top. So, um, you know, if you're in logistics or ops, those are kind of the important data points I need to bring to, you know, to management and executives saying, listen, I foresee an out of stock situation, you know, how you plan on this, you know, what we do is information is going to come down to those relationship points and the company's goals and objectives. With that said, though, uh, I believe, you know, being out of stock on Amazon is detrimental to your ultimate success on Amazon going forward. And uh let's dig into that detrimental to your success. Why is it detrimental? What kind of an impact does it have to be out of stock on a listing? Yeah. You know, I don't profess to know the Amazon algorithm inside out, but you know, for whatever reason, when you're out of stock sales, don't really pick back up for another couple months. Um, you know, you might be going steady, steady, right in that, right in that uh, ramp. And then you might have out of stock and stuff flattens out. Um, you know, I can only imagine the Amazon algorithm really likes having product in stock <laughs> and it's really key for them. So I know, I think you might know a little bit more about that. But... Yeah, well, that, that's why I, I, I asked. So uh, now what happens is it's all about algorithm. So if you think about this, you know, you mentioned customer experience, satisfying the customer. That's what Amazon is about. So if you think about this, Somebody comes to Amazon's website, they type in a keyword and products come up and they click on a product. You know, they have 20 listings on that first page that are organically displayed, which is where everybody wants to be because you don't want to pay. So you, they see 20, they click on one and they like what they, what they see, what they read, and then they click add to cart and they check out. So in Amazon's eyes, that product is a successful product that provided good customer experience because customers searched keyword and clicked on a listing and ended up buying it. If 100 people click on a listing and 50 of them buy, that's 50% success on that product. So now, if this is happening consistently, what that means is you're getting orders consistently. So Amazon algorithm decides, give me the listings that achieve the best conversion, that achieve the most consistent trending orders, listings with orders, that have the best seller rating. In other words, just not just the listing. The seller also has to have 
positive. Most people don't even look at the seller rate. Seller also has to be good. Those ones show up. So now what happens when you run out of stock? And then we go back to our customer. Zero. That's why, that's why you, you said it takes a couple of months because one, once it's back in stocks, because they are not looking at the order count one day. They are looking at your what they call moving average. So they're looking at their, I don't know exactly the algorithm, but the past seven days. What's the past seven days average of orders taken? So 100 orders every day you know, seven days, your moving average is 100 orders a day. And suddenly day eight, inventory is out. Now 700 divided by eight, then 700 divided by nine, 700. So your moving average starts to take a nosedive and then it hits the floor. Then finally you have stock, it starts to come back up, but that takes, that's why it takes a couple of months. So For that's sure. why moving and running out of inventory is, 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 as you put it, detrimental to your success. Yeah, and I think I mentioned earlier, you know, you're you're on the ops and inventory side, you're really appealing to uh, a velocity algorithm. And they don't care, I mean, they, they don't care that you've been out of stock, they don't care what personal problems might be going on in the company, they, they don't care. Um, you know, meanwhile, with a distributor or, you know, your own customer, you might be able to have that real life person to person conversation, letting them know, hey, we're gonna be back in stock next week. We can do this, we'll ship it directly to you. Heck, I'll even go drive the inventory personally to you. So you can have those conversations, especially in the startup world. Amazon, you can either have inventory or you don't. Oh, exactly. So let's talk about what it takes to be successful on Amazon as a team. What is the makeup of a team? And you actually covered them a little bit, but let's dig into it. So. And, and cover this from the standpoint of knowing what you know, what is, and you seem to be already applying it uh, during startup of the Amazon operation and during growth. What is the team makeup and what is a good idea to outsource and what is a good idea to keep in-house? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, definitely in the Amazon, everyone needs to put on the Amazon hat. And you need to have clearly defined roles again. Um, at the very least, you need someone that's going to manage the inventory, manage the velocity, and you need someone to manage the listings, the catalog, and the um, you know the listings and those components. Um, you know, if as a team you have a full team that's capable of doing it, then I think you're ready to launch. However, I'd always recommend outsourcing. You know what you're not good at. Um, you know, if you are able to handle the inventory, there's no reason to outsource that. But on the pay-per-click side, on the, the marketing side, on the, the listing, the catalog, all that good stuff, you know, that might be something worthwhile looking into if you don't have those particular expertise or skills. And again, too, I, you know, that launch in Amazon, those first 90 days, Amazon, again, don't know the algorithm inside out, but they, they seem to artificially inflate your numbers a little bit or provide you a little boost during that 90 days. And you really want to win during those 90 days or at least get off to a really good start. And it makes sense to have that team in place to start being ready to execute and go right off the back. After 90 days, you look at those numbers and then decide, do we need to hire more? Do we need to outsource more? Or are we going with what we're going? And if you do everything right in those first 90 days, then you might want to have a plan to, to start growing maybe at least by six months where hiring people are outsourcing more. So what I'm hearing is the when you launch, by the way, they call it the honeymoon period. Uh, and I'm sure that, that you've seen for some sellers right next to their name, it says just launched. Yep. So they, and they artificially push those, those sellers listings to the forefront. They come up more. So so what I'm hearing really is there is no room for learning curve when you launch. You need to know what you're doing so that you can maximize your efforts in the first 90 days. Would that be right? I 100% agree with that. And, you know, previously, again, just being, you know, being inexperienced was we're going to figure this out as we always do. We, we tend to figure stuff out and you really miss a huge opportunity and you spend those first you spend that first couple months really just backtracking and trying to find stuff out. I highly recommend going in with the, 
experienced people or at least a huge, at least being able to study and being able to launch and really own that first 90 days. And I think that provides huge potential. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, that's really what I was getting at. So there is a, a huge opportunity cost. And the other thing that I found with Amazon is things that you do wrong or things that you do late, they have irreversible damages on your account because everything is about data. They're collecting it. Like, for example, your moving average. So think about this. If you get five orders, the day you launch, you get five orders and then six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and it starts to go up, your moving average is going up. But you launch when you, you don't know what you're doing. So oh, let's get the listings up and then we'll figure it out. And you get, you got zero, 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 zero. And then one day suddenly you get something and then it drops, you're nowhere, right? Definitely. And I look back to like, you know, my most successful Amazon, you know, came, came in, came in year three. And I just think about, you know, I I definitely reflect and think about looking at laws of compounding interest. Like, you know, if we were to start to write from day one, where year three would have been and year five would have been, um, you know, rather than it was kind of, fighting and we'll use another boxing analogy you know kind of sparring in the beginning and, and working out the kinks before we're really ready to take off and uh and this was you know early on too this is you know six seven years ago this was you know where amazon was huge but not as big as it is today and you know so you miss out on some of those opportunities yeah so uh as far as the uh, your entire amazon journey so give us you, you just you're gonna launch it now. So what are your uh, goals? And tell us about like your multiples and what are you looking to achieve? And uh, what what do you think is possible to achieve? What can people expect? Yeah, well, can't get into too many specifics, but definitely have some new innovation on the horizon that we're super super excited about and think there's a huge potential for it. Um, you know, we're looking to immediately become a category, well, slowly but surely, I'll, I'll say, I won't get too ahead of myself, become a category leader in, in our space. And, you know, the KPIs that we've set for our ourself is to really own that first 90-day launch. The way that we're doing it is we're, you know, we've already got our catalog set up. We're working with our warehouses. We've defined our roles on our team, um, you know, and potentially working with some outside agencies to really own the, the um, you know, so own some of the listings as well. So we're, we're, we're prepared to fully launch on Amazon and do so with a really winning strategy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you, you've done it before, so you, you have a, a totally deliberate approach. So um, I usually ask at the end, uh, if you could wish one thing for Amazon to change in their policies for sellers, what would that be? <laughs> I think I talked about at one point, the Amazon selling dashboard, for whatever reason, Amazon's this amazing company. It's one of the biggest company, however many billion dollars they're worth, trillions probably. The Amazon selling dashboard, it looks like it was built in 2002. Like the reporting is terrible. It's slow. It's not dynamic. Uh, like I don't know how in this age of, you know, new web, web three coming out that Amazon dashboard, selling dashboard that is, is isn't really helpful. I, I think. And the data they provide is, is fairly limited, isn't it? Fairly limited. It's getting less and less. Um, you used to be able to, you know, at least extract some data. It seems to be less and less every year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that was great. So, I mean, this is, uh, you, you are the, the perfect example of how to really launch on Amazon for, for success, because uh, if you just sign up and just go with it, it's uh, that, that's really it's not the way to do it. So tell us about uh, Zach Cohen. Who is Zach Cohen? Where do you live? What do you do outside of work? And what are your passions? <laughs> yeah. well, I'm, out, I'm outside of New York City. I'm in Connecticut, about an hour outside the city in a great city in Norwalk. Originally from New Haven, Connecticut. And yeah, so, you know, when I'm not working in Amazon and operations, uh, you know, passions are you know boxing and basketball so we teach it right now uh teach boxing classes also help found a a basketball a youth basketball instruction run by a good buddy of mine victor joshua who is uh, providing free basketball training to inner city kids in new haven and it's a really great program so so those are my passions um you know giving back with 
my sports, I love boxing and, and, and basketball. And then right now it's really focused on Ruby hibiscus water. Our CEO and founder, Noah Wunsch, is really incredible at what he does and has built an amazing product. And personally, I'm super behind it and really excited about what we're going to do. And, you know, you'll probably see us on Amazon very shortly. And Noah's created a really cool branding experience. And definitely check us out at www.ruby.fun. Oh, that, that's what I was going to say. Um, how can people find you? And also uh, the company and as well as you personally. Uh, we will obviously put on this on our website uh, for your episode, but uh, give us uh, how people can reach out. Yeah, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to find me. Um, LinkedIn slash Zach Cohen 2, I think it is. Also on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Zach underscore Cohen. Uh, and then the brand, definitely follow us. Ruby.fun is the website. That's .fun. Also on, um, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at at Ruby for fun and do yourself a favor and check it out. You'll see a really, really innovative website, a really innovative experience. Um, and if you go to our website and you text the number there, you can find out your Ruby first character. And uh, basically we have a, a whole universe. universe. Um, it's kind of got a sci-fi theme to it. it. It's super fun. It's super cool. And it's a really different, unique experience. And, um, you know, hibiscus water is going to be uh, the new big thing. Whole Foods ranked it one of the top 10 trends of the year and really excited about that. Well, great. Well, thank you, Zach. This was great. And uh, so here you go, folks. You, you've heard how to do things. And you've also heard what not to do. So uh, Zach has done it before and uh, he's now going at it in a totally educated manner. And uh, his, everything that he says is 100% spot on. So uh, that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you for watching and listening and I'll see you next time. Thank you, Nick. And thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.